0: Welcome to Through the Fog. I'm Ken Bigelow. Artificial intelligence, the kind we see in movies, raises a lot of questions about our changing world, our future, nature of work, even our existence. I think we're a ways away from most of the draconian outcomes that are feared, but we need to think about them early. Today I want to talk about a few interesting questions we may want to ask. We have a hard time predicting the future. When I was young, I thought we'd surely invented everything that could be invented. My mother would tell me that when she was young, they didn't have TV, only radio. I thought, okay, we have TV now, so that's it. What are they going to do, invent a way that the TV talks to us and we talk back? Of course they did. It's called the internet. Another story I'm not proud of. When I started my first job out of grad school in 1993, my company was doing a trial for a new communication method called email. I had just left college and the internet was just starting to become something we knew about, but I just didn't get email. I said to the project manager, why do we need this? We already have voicemail on the phones. I'm not the only one bad at predictions. There are terrible predictions that have gone on throughout history. Here are a few interesting quotes. In 1946, television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. In 1955, nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality within 10 years. That was said by Alex Lewitt, president of the Lewitt Vacuum Cleaner Company. 1959, before man reaches the moon, your mail will be delivered within hours from New York to Australia by guided missiles. We stand on the threshold of rocket mail, said the U.S. Postmaster General. In 1966, Time Magazine said, remote shopping, while entirely feasible, will flop. In 1981, the inventor of the cell phone, Marty Cooper, said, Cellular phones will absolutely not replace local wire systems. And in 2005, there just aren't that many videos I want to watch, said Steve Chen, CTO and co-founder of YouTube. Sometimes we don't even understand the changes that come with a new technology before they're implemented. A good example is Xerox. Before the copy machine, Carbon copies were the way you could make copies of a document. It required that you put carbon and multiple pages in the typewriter at the time you create the document. The copy machine allowed you to decide to make the copies later and to make many, many copies of any document after the fact, even documents you didn't create yourself. Those inventing the copy machine couldn't anticipate the change in working that this brought on. They could only see it as a way to eliminate the need for carbon copies. But it revolutionized the way people work in ways that weren't anticipated. In the old way, only a few people could see the important documents of a company. Now you could make copies that everyone could read. Information overload became a problem. But collaboration was dramatically changed. Not just the number of people involved, but the way they were involved. Okay, back to AI. What does this have to do with AI? Well, AI is a new technology. And how can we know the effects that this new technology will bring? How will it impact us as a society or even as a world? A few random thoughts. What will humans do? Can can we imagine a world where the machines do all the work necessary to create wealth and value? How's that gonna play out? Maybe we can all focus on doing things that make us happy. For me, it would be music. You may have heard of the concept of UBI, Universal Basic Income. Imagine if we all received a basic level of income sufficient to keep us fed, housed, and healthy. It could be up to us to decide to do things to increase our level of wealth, or just do things that humans can do that maybe don't pay but enhance our lives anyway. A world where we don't have to focus our day-to-day activities on things that generate income or security, because we already have that, not bad. But would that happen? What if those who created the AI to create the wealth decided just to keep the wealth? This is the concept of the winner-take-all economy. AI could be so efficient that the first company to successfully deploy it has an insurmountable lead on all the others. In this scenario, a few winners become catastrophically rich and the rest struggle. What about the AI itself? As of now, AI is fairly narrow in its abilities. We can create a machine that can beat the best Go player in the world or the best chess player, that can drive a car or diagnose cancer better than human doctors. But the machine that can drive a car can't diagnose cancer or play chess. And the chess playing machine can't draw a picture or give directions or cook a meal. We certainly cannot create a machine that is aware of its own existence to decide what it wants to do. What I'm talking about is is referred to as artificial general intelligence, the ability to understand and to make decisions across a number of skills and to learn in new ways, new things. We're probably pretty far away from that level of automations, although experts disagree on how far away. But even if we're 100 years away, I think we need to assume that we will get there. Maybe not the self-awareness. We can talk more about that later. But once the machines achieve some level of artificial general intelligence, or AGI, we have a whole new set of concerns that we need to start thinking about now, before it's too late. How will we ensure that the objectives of the thinking machine are aligned with ours? Max Tegmark, who's a uh, physics professor at MIT, recommends that we prepare for this future in a number of ways and start thinking about it now. The first is that we need to ditch our current practice of learning from our mistakes. With earlier technologies, it wasn't so catastrophic. We discovered fire, and we messed up. But then we made fire extinguishers, and we fixed it. We invented cars, and we messed it up. Then we added seat belts and that fixed it. But super-intelligent AI controlling nuclear weapons? That we cannot mess up even one time. Tegmark also gives us an example of how unclear objectives can cause problems. Imagine you get into a self-driving car and you tell it you want to get to the airport as fast as possible. You arrive quickly, covered in vomit, being chased by police helicopters after having run over several pedestrians. You say, that's not what I meant, but you weren't clear. You assumed that the machine would know what you mean. It's critically important that we are able to make sure that the machines know what we mean every time. He talks about the things that we should do to prepare for this eventuality. Um, The first is to invest in safety research, to take a different um, approach to developing tools than we take today, right? We, we roll things out, we find the bugs, we fix the bugs. That's not how NASA, for example, sent uh, the rocket to, uh, to the moon or to space. They thought of every eventuality, and they tested and retested and retested, and it has to be important that we do that. He thinks that we should ban lethal autonomous weapons, That that we should make it like biological weapons, and that keeps chemistry and biology on the, on the good side, right, on, on the benefit side, and we stigmatize bad, uh, bad uses of the, uh, of the technology. He recommends that we think about ways to ensure that the wealth generated from this great AI makes everyone better off, And and that's going to be different from the way we think of entrepreneurial uh, benefits and and the people getting the benefit of what they've they've created. We need to think about it in a different way because this technology is so fundamentally different. And finally, and it's the most interesting thing, he says, um, think of the future, think of the sort of future that we want and start planning for it. And he gives an example. He says, if a student walks into my office for career advice, And I ask her where she sees herself in the future, and she says something like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll have cancer, maybe I'll be in jail, that he would be highly critical of her planning strategy. That that we need to envision the future that we want, and yet what do we do today? Most movies about the future, uh, Terminator, Hunger Games are the two that he points out, are dystopian in nature. We need to think about an optimistic future, and then start moving towards that. Then if we don't start thinking about that, we're never gonna be able to move towards it, which I find uh, an interesting point. One final thought before we end today. This winner-take-all nature of AI development brings with it a unique risk that we haven't really seen to this extent in technology development progress. Uh, Building an AI that's explainable, that's controllable, properly tested, and well aligned with the objectives of humanity will take enormous effort, slowing the pace, I would say, of progress. If we assume that entrepreneurial incentives drive people to race to be the winner in this technology, what's to keep unscrupulous, or, or even just driven individuals from taking shortcuts to be the first to market with some new AI technology. If you can achieve a decisive strategic advantage, as Nick Bostrom ca- called it in his book, Super Intelligence, and those with that advantage ensure themselves the permanent spoils of being the winner, well, you have strong incentive to race to a functioning product rather than to consider all these extra control requirements. In fact, if you think about it, the agile methods we all follow, as well as the idea of a minimum viable product, assume the need to get an initial product out the door quickly in part to allow your users to find the problems that give you the ability to improve your product more quickly. Can we afford to take that approach with AI? Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Bigelow.